All right, so today we're in lesson 10, and we're going to start our journey in David's life. And to be very honest with you, you would think, having already looked at the reality that David was anointed to be king, his great victory over Goliath, which we saw in chapter 17, we now come to chapter 18, and we're going to see that while it starts out great, the first seven verses are actually very positive, things quickly turn south. And I think it's very important for you and I to understand that because sometimes we have this concept that because we are Christians and because we have this sense of calling in our life about what God wants us to do, that supposedly everything's supposed to go well, everything's supposed to be good. But when you look at the life of David, it didn't go well. It didn't go well at all. In fact, I was looking right before the Sunday school hour, exactly what age do we think David was when he was anointed? And so some scholars think he was 10 up to the age 15. I've already told you that it's very possible, but by the time he killed Goliath. He may have been in his late teens, early 20s. By the time he becomes king, he's 30 years old. So there's a long period of time in between Goliath and when he actually becomes king. And what we're going to see is, starting today in chapter 18, it's really a path of suffering. It's really a path of persecution. It's really a path of running for his life and really being subjected to some very terrible circumstances. But what we're going to see, because the narrator brings that out when we go through these passages, is that God is using that process of running from Saul to develop who David is to develop his character. I think it has been said that God can't use a man unless he first suffers greatly. And I think that's kind of missing from our whole North American culture today, is where we have this concept of blessing without suffering. But that's not the testimony of Scripture, and that's definitely not the testimony of the narratives. So we're going to start today, chapter 18, we're going to go up to chapter 20, verse 42, and we're going to see Saul's jealousy. Now remember, up to this point, Saul, he no longer has the Spirit of God upon him. In fact, he's being tormented by a demon. And so we're going to see that that comes out in his actions, and he becomes very, very jealous. So let's start off first. We're going to see in chapter 18, verses 1 to 7, that David becomes a national hero. You said, of course, he killed Goliath. Well, even more so when you look at the first seven verses. So the first thing I want you to notice is this, is that the writer records that from the very beginning, Jonathan bonded with David. From the very beginning, from that moment when David appears before Saul with Goliath's head and in his hand, David and Jonathan's heart knit together. There was a bond that developed between them that was very strong. And so we see that from the very beginning here. 
And what we also see is, is in the first seven verses, it says that Jonathan honored David with his robe, armor, and weapons. So he put on a royal robe on David. That's an honorable thing to do. And then he gave David not just a robe, but he gave him his armor, and he gave him basically his weapons, because he's going to become a man of war. Now, when you look at the scripture, it tells you very clearly from that point on, Saul didn't let David go back home anymore. Why? Because David now is a warrior. David is a warrior for Saul. And he excelled as a warrior and became a commander in Saul's army. So one of the things you notice is, is that God is blessing David from the very beginning as a warrior, as a soldier, and gave him victory over the Philistines. Whatever he did, he had victory. So here's the problem, though, is that the people began to praise David in song as Saul returned from battle. And, and, and if you look at the text, I think it's quite interesting, it's quite amazing that what they sang was, are you ready for this, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. So it's, it's almost like really he's the national hero. People are giving him more attention than they're giving Saul attention. And that, my friends, is a fertile ground for jealousy, for, for somebody's ego to be hurt. And of course, that ego that would be hurt would be Saul. And we see that happening here. And so it starts out great, these first seven verses, but when you get to verse eight now, things quickly turn sour in the relationship between David and Saul up until the point of Saul's death which we're going to see at the end of 1 Samuel. So that now brings us to Saul's rage. And, and that's how I would describe it. It's basically his anger and rage at what he perceives as his nemesis, what he perceives as a threat to the throne. In fact, let's just be honest, Saul's actually correct, isn't he? Saul's thought that David is a threat to his throne is actually correct, because he knows that God already told him that he has been rejected and that now God was going to select another. And Saul is really quickly realizing that the other is David. And so we're going to see his rage now. So first thing I want you to notice when you come to verse 8 is, is that Saul became angry at the song and questioned if David wanted the kingdom. So he started getting very skeptical, started getting very suspicious. And that's what happens. With jealousy comes suspicion. And you can't trust anybody. And so that's what's happening. He's, he's wondering, well, what, what does David want the throne? Does David want my throne? And I would say at this point, David's not wanting his throne at this point, just to be honest with you. Yes, he's been anointed king, but I don't think that's what David's striving for. I think David genuinely loves Saul, and we're going to see that later on. He genuinely loves Saul, and he wasn't trying to usurp his throne, but 
I'll be honest with you, Saul is thinking that from the very beginning because he's jealous. So here's what I want you to see now. As Saul was tormented by a spirit, he sought to kill David with a spear. All right, so classic situation. Now remember, whenever Saul is tormented by a spirit, he's supposed to be soothed by somebody who plays music. And so the text tells us that David is still fulfilling that role. Yes, he's a warrior. Yes, he's going out winning great battles. But he's also ministering to Saul by playing music. So one moment the writer is telling us, Saul is being tormented by a distressing spirit. David, of course, is playing. But Saul, in his anger and rage, grabs a spear or a javelin and tries to pin David to the wall. That's pretty, pretty drastic, don't you think? I mean, that's pretty, uh, there's something going on here. I mean, if you think about that, guy's trying to kill you out of nowhere, you're trying to soothe him. That's not good. But it says, the text very clearly says, that David escaped Saul's attempts twice and Saul became afraid of him. Okay, you've got to be wondering, like, okay, so David escaped once. That would be one thing, but David escaping twice. So that means Saul tried to do this two times. Like, what's up with David? Why is he allowing this to happen? Folks, again, it's a situation unlike our own where you're talking about kings and those who are subject to them. And, of course, probably the first time they would say, oh, it's just a mad, distressing spirit. He'll get over it. Second time happens. David, again, escapes being pinned to the wall by the spear. But here's what happens. Saul now becomes very, very afraid of David, the text tells us. Why would that take place? Well, obviously, he's realizing that God is with David. And we already know that, right? We already know that from the point of his anointing, it said very clearly in the passage that the Spirit of God came upon David until his death. He was with him until he died. So here's what happens now. Because of this and because of Saul's anger, David was then made a commander over a thousand men to be away from Saul. So David was actually given more responsibility over the warriors, which meant he would be away from Saul's presence. That's a pretty smart move. Get him out of the, get him out of the kingdom. Get him out of the presence of the king. Get him on the battlefield where he's in charge of large groups of men. And uh, maybe things will be better. Maybe things will be better. Well, they don't get better. And, and so we see then the text tells us that David behaved wisely. And Saul began to fear David even more as the nation loved him. So making him a commander of thousands only added to his adoration by the nation. The nation's like, wow, he is awesome. He's, he's great. And, and here's David. He's acting wisely, meaning he's not trying to gain glory for himself because that all belongs to Saul. And Saul's becoming even more fearful. Because you know what? I'll be honest with you. He's probably looking for something to accuse David of. But David's not giving him the opportunity to accuse him of anything. 
David's not giving him any opportunity. So then, of course, Saul tries to take a different approach with this. And if you remember, the thing that was offered to the one who killed Goliath was that he would marry the king's daughter. Okay? Now, the text tells us when we're in this section of chapter 18 that Saul offered his oldest daughter to David. So David declined to marry Saul's older daughter. And, and basically David's whole point, very humble, who am I to marry the king's daughter? Who am I? I I'm, I'm not a man of wealth. I don't have a dowry to pay. Who am I? I you know, so he declines. He declines. Now, Saul had another daughter by the name of Michal. Because she loved David, he sought to weaken David with her hand in marriage. Okay? So, you're, how does marriage weaken David? You're probably wondering that. Well, here's what happens when you talk about those early newlywed years. Basically, the couples are totally focused on each other. That would weaken him because his thoughts in battle would be to be with his new bride. In fact, the law, you may not be aware of it, but the law very clearly stated that a man was exempt from going to war for the first three years of his marriage. First three years of his marriage, because they clearly felt that marriage affected, especially when you first got married, affected you when you went to war. So Saul's thinking, okay, let's give, I'll get him to marry my younger daughter. She loves him, and that'll weaken him, and he will die. He'll get killed by the Philistines because he'll be distracted. He'll be distracted. I mean, there's some pretty conniving things going on here with Saul to try to discredit or kill David, and it's not working out, okay? Now, again, David pointed out that he was not worthy. I'm not a man. I'm not going to do it. But, and Saul proposed a price. Actually, Saul didn't tell him the price. The text tells you that Saul got some of his servants to go and talk to David and say, David, um, you know, the king, if you can come up with this price, you can marry the king's daughter. Now, the price, well, you know what, in our modern sensibilities, it's pretty gross if you think about it, but the price was David was supposed to bring a hundred body parts from the Philistines. You say body parts. Well, remember, the thing that distinguished Jews from everyone else around them was the fact that they were circumcised. And they were to bring the portion of a body part from those Philistine warriors that showed that they were, in fact, uncircumcised men who had been killed. And David accepts the offer. Okay? David accepts the offer. So Saul proposed a price of 100 Philistine body parts, thinking that it would lead to David's death. So again, there's a reason why Saul's doing this. He's thinking, man, I'm telling him to go get 100 of these body parts from 100 warriors. Obviously, in the midst of doing that, he's going to get killed. He's going to be killed by the Philistines as he tries to fulfill this price. Okay? Now, 
Here's the problem, though. <laughs> the text tells you David killed 200 Philistines in fulfillment of the price. So he brings 200 body parts, and the text says they count them out in front of Saul. I mean, that's pretty gross. And Michal is giving to him as a wife. It's not going the way Saul wants it to go. He's trying to eliminate David. It's not going well, folks. It's not going well. So here's what happens. Saul became more afraid of David as David's popularity grew with the people. So here's the thing. David keeps becoming more popular. I mean, think about that. A story gets out. He's told to go kill 100. He comes back with 200. What a man! And that's how they viewed him in that culture. They saw things from that cultural perspective. We look at it as like, oh my goodness. But from their cultural perspective, what a guy. And Saul becomes more and more afraid of David. More and more afraid. So then we come to chapter 19, and it's definitely taking a shift now. Because at the very beginning of chapter 19, Saul communicates his wishes. So what we see here is that Saul told Jonathan and his servants to kill David. Right off the bat, Saul's making it very clear to his son, to his servants who are around him, I want David dead. We need to kill David. Okay? Now, Jonathan, remember, Jonathan had bonded with David. They have a friendship a very close friendship. Their hearts are knit together like brothers. So Jonathan informed David and told him to hide in a secret place. So Jonathan goes to David and says, oh, you need to lay low, go somewhere, don't tell anybody where you're going, and hide for a while because my father is not acting right. My father is determined to kill you. So then Jonathan appealed to his father not to kill David, and Saul relented. So here's what happens. Jonathan goes to Dad. Dad, you can't do this. He's a good man. He's, he loves you. He's fighting for you. And, and Saul relents. Okay? Saul says, okay, I'm not going to kill him. All right? Saul relents. So then Jonathan brought David back into Saul's presence as in times past. So Jonathan thinking, okay, everything's, everything's good, everything's okay now, I'll just bring David back and everything will be back to normal like it was before. But the problem is, folks, it's not back to normal. Because here's the thing, and, and we're going to see this in Saul's life. He may relent, he may recognize that what he's doing wrong, but he's still consumed with what? Anger and rage. And you're going to see several opportunities where Saul will confess that his seeking to kill David is wrong. But guess what? After that confession, quote, repentance, you're going to see that he continues to do that. Which, by the way, folks, very clearly that is not just in this passage, but throughout the scripture you see the difference between remorse and repentance. Remorse is you get caught at the moment and you're sorry, but repentance is a change of behavior after the remorse. And what we see here with they, Saul is he's remorseful and he relents, but he isn't really repentant. 
He still wants David dead. And we're going to see that. Okay? We're going to see that. So, again, chapter 19 tells us that once again, David did well in his battles against the Philistines. David's doing really well in his battles against the Philistines. We see that. Okay? So, again, we're back to the same place again. Saul's tormented by a spirit. So what happens when he's tormented by a spirit? You need somebody to come play music for him. Who's the best music guy? David. Okay, so Saul, tormented by a spirit, tries to kill David again with a spear. This is the third time now. Okay, third time. If you're David, I think you should be realizing there's something going on here. <laughs> I don't know that I should be playing music for him anymore. I think maybe I should be thinking about something else. Well, because David fled from his presence, Saul sent servants to watch his house to kill him. So David, of course, fled. If you're being attacked with a spear, you're going to run out of there. Of course, it's naturally where you're going to run to. Your house, that's where your wife is. You're going to run back there. So Saul sends his servants, warriors, to watch the house for David and in the morning grab him and kill him. Now, Michal, that's Saul's daughter, helped David escape and later told her father that David threatened her. Now, it's an interesting passage of Scripture when we see the escape here. She helps him escape through a window, uh, whatever, gets out. In the meantime, she puts... It says a household idol. So that's very interesting, isn't it? Okay. Here they are. They still have high household idols, even though they're worshiping the true God. She places it there. And when the people come, they think David is there, but they find out that she's lied. But when she's confronted by her dad, about why did you do this? She's thinking about her own life. So that's telling you, listen to me, that's telling you where Saul's really at. He's really out of his mind that his own children can't talk to him. And so the daughter says, well, he told me he would kill me. So that's why I helped him. Okay? Not a good situation, folks. Really not a good situation. So then chapter 19, this, the latter part of chapter 19, tells you where David runs to. Now, if you're David and you're wanting to run, where do you go to? Well, here's what he chose to do. He chose to go to Ramah. Who's in Ramah, folks? Samuel. Samuel. So David fled to Samuel in Ramah and told him everything that God had done to him. So David's going to go to the guy who really set this all in motion by anointing him. He's going to run to the prophet, judge Samuel, and tell him everything. Now, by this point, Samuel's very advanced in age, folks. You've got to realize that. Here he is. He runs to him and tells him everything that's going on. Now, Saul, hearing that David was there, sent messengers to take David. So here's what happens. Saul, who hears that this is going on, basically sends messengers to take David. So he sends not just messengers, the text says messengers, but he really sends warriors to take and kill David. Okay? 
Now you say, oh, wow, how are they going to deal with this? Well, God deals with it. Because here's what happens. But when the messengers saw Samuel with a group of prophets, the Spirit came upon them. And the text tells you that when the Spirit came upon them, they fell down. So even though they were sent there to get David, as soon as they saw Samuel with the prophets, the Spirit of God comes upon them, they can't get David. They're basically in control by, being controlled by the Spirit and prophesying and telling truth. This happens to the first group. Here's what happens after that. When Saul was told what happened, he sent more messengers a second and third time. So here's what he does. Okay, I'll send a different group of guys up. Sends up a second group of guys. They see Samuel with the prophets prophesying. These second group, this second group falls down. They too begin to prophesy. They're not getting David. Saul hears that. The second group is incapacitated by the Spirit of God. He sends up a third group. Are you, you, you've got to be like, are you kidding me? I think I'd be realizing there's something going on here. But he sends up a third group. Same thing happens with the third group. They fall down and begin to prophesy. So now Saul gets to the point where he's like, well, I'm going to have to take matters into my own hands. So Saul went to Ramah himself, and the Spirit came upon Saul. So he goes to Ramah, and he's told where, where David is. And uh, basically what happens then is he's seeing that Samuel is there with the prophets. He goes up there, and the Spirit of God comes upon him, like it did when Saul first was told he was going to be king. But here's what else happens. He stripped off his clothes and lay naked before Samuel, prophesying all day and all night. There was no way even Saul himself was going to get David. Now, listen, folks. So you've got to ask yourself, who protected David there? Was it Samuel? Well, yeah, you could say Samuel, but I'll be honest with you, we already know who's protecting David. This is a very clear indication in this passage. Saul sends out three groups of men to take David. Doesn't happen. Saul goes himself. Doesn't happen. Why? Because the Spirit of God is with David. And the Spirit of God has a purpose for him. And nobody's going to change that purpose. Not even Saul. Not even Saul. So now we come to chapter 20. So this is where we're going to finish up with chapter 20. And the interaction between Jonathan and David. Jonathan and David. So here's what happens. Very first part of chapter 20. David went to Jonathan and asked him what he had done to cause Saul to want him dead. Natural thing. He's going to go to his his close buddy, his friend who his heart is knit with, he's going to say, look, what did I do to your dad? How have I acted dishonorably that he would try to kill me? Tell me, tell me what I did. And Jonathan, of course, tells him, you haven't done anything. You have done nothing. You have been honorable. So Jonathan stated he would feel Saul out concerning 
his intentions with David. So he's basically saying, look, I'm going to go, I'm going to sound him out. The scripture uses the word sound. I'm going to sound him out. We would say feel. We, I'm going to go feel him out and see what his thoughts are. And, and you just kind of lay low, you hide. I'll feel and see what's going on here. But that's not the only thing that Jonathan does. Jonathan also knows that David is special. David has a purpose, a calling on his life. And so he makes a covenant with David, okay? Because he knows there's this animosity between his dad and David. And in those days, I'll be honest with you, family against family, you carry that out no matter what friendships are. But he's making a covenant here with David. And so he made a covenant with David that David would not stop showing kindness to his house. Basically, he's saying to David, Whatever, whatever's going on, you and I have this covenant that whatever the outcome is, you will not stop showing kindness to me or my house. Now, that's going to be a significant thing that we're going to see later on when we come to 2 Samuel. But the point is, is that they make this covenant with each other because they love each other. Now, Jonathan explained his plan about approaching Saul concerning David. So he basically told him to hide. This is how I'm going to signal you. It has to do with arrows. And uh, if I do this, then you'll know everything's okay. And if I do this, you'll know everything's not okay. So they devised this plan. Well, the text goes on and then tells us that he also told David how he would get the news to him about the meeting. So that's how he's doing here. Okay. Now, at the time of the feast, so it's the new moon. And it is a Jewish custom, still is somewhat, was in Paul's day to celebrate the new moon. And so they had a feast. And so they would have the gathering of the feast and everybody who's in Saul's household would be there. And of course, David's place is open. So at the time of the feast, Saul inquired as to why David was not present for two days because it says at the feast he wasn't and then the next day, so Saul's wondering it's interesting because the text tells you he's thinking that David has become unclean, which means he's become ceremonially unclean, which is not a good thing. So he's thinking, surely he's unclean, surely he's unclean, trying to find something against David. So he's wondering, why isn't David here? Okay, So Jonathan explained that David had asked to go to his father in Bethlehem. So Jonathan explained, look, what's going on here is he asked me, he said his, his older brother commanded him to come to the feast. And of course, this is family obligation. He would have to do this. And I allowed him to go to be with his father during this time, with his family. Saul became angry and cursed Jonathan and commanded that David be executed. So he curses his own son. It's really not a good thing to be saying about your own son. David does. I mean, excuse me, Saul does. And he wants him to be executed. He will not be placated. He will not relent. He wants David dead. So Jonathan questioned why. Jonathan's like, what's going on here? Why are you doing this? And Saul threw a spear at him. <laughs> Well, I mean, Saul, don't give Saul a spear, guys. 
he's going to throw it at you. Well, he's throwing a spear at his own son. He's lost his mind. He's angry. He's threatened. He wants David dead. So Jonathan left the feast angry and went and met David. So he left the feast angry, went and goes and meets David. Now, the text tells you that, again, as it was arranged, they would go out to the field. He has a young guy with him who's going to pick up his arrows that he shoots out. And so he shoots out the arrows like he says, and he says something ver verbally so David understands what's going on. And then he sends the young lad in, it says. And that's where Jonathan told David to go in peace and reminded him of their covenant. So basically, go in peace, do what you got to do, you run, but remember, you and I have a covenant. You and I have a covenant. And thus begins what really will be some tragic chapters ahead of us as David runs. We're going to see some positive things as God molds a man who's going to become king of Israel, the greatest king ever. And we're going to start seeing that next week with chapter 21 as we look at lesson 11.